Hey, everybody. Welcome. You're listening to the Lead, Build, Live podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Lead, Build, Live Leadership Podcast, Episode 10. We're so excited that you're joining us today. I'm Larry Boatwright, along with my brother from another mother, Rob Caldwell. Rob, let me ask you a question. What do you think of when I say the term relational leadership? <laughs> you know, to be honest, I think some form of weak leadership that <laughs> maybe is uh, more emotional and less about getting things done. So, uh, <laughs> so the I output. know that's terrible. I know that's no, terrible. It's being, you're being honest. I'm okay. being honest. Well, but, I think that's probably true for, for a lot of our leaders. For, for most of us, you're type A. We're driven. We're output-centric. We want to get stuff done. It's pretty easy to think relational leadership is just spending time talking, hanging out with people, and really not concerned with getting things done. Our guest today is John Atkinson. John is a consultant with the 127 Group out of Texas and has worked in church work and other organizations for 25 plus years. And he started kind of in the same place as us, thinking about that. And then over time, started realizing that making relational investment into those you lead actually can be really, really healthy over the long term. Absolutely. And I think that my natural bent is to view, you know, relationships as something that's less important than productivity. And, uh, and so I'm so excited to hear a great conversation about relational leadership from someone who has matured through that process and really can value it the right way. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about what is relational leadership, why it matters, what it does for your team, what it does for your organization, and ultimately what it does for you, and some practical things that you can do to build a culture that values people and relationships and still gets stuff done. So we're super excited to dive into our conversation today with John Atkinson. Okay, everybody, we're here with John Atkinson. John and I have been friends for a long time. John, welcome to the Lead, Build, Live podcast. Hey, guys. Thanks for inviting me. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Hey, why don't we just get started with you just giving us a little bit of a bio of your your background the last several years and leadership and kind of what what makes you tick. Yeah. You know, I spent 15 years in the local church. Uh, I was part of a church that uh, grew from a church plant to a pretty significantly large church. Got to be an XP and see a lot of things that happen in a growing church. Um, a lot of them were great. A lot of them were not so great. You learn as much from the failures of a journey like that as you learn from the uh, from the successes. For the last five years, we've been uh, started a company called the 127 Group, and we've been coaching pastors and coaching staffs. And uh, it's kind of about whatever taking what you've learned over the last 15 years, the good, the bad, and the ugly of it, and sharing it and being open about it, and and hopefully has some effect on having pastors and churches get healthier because of it. And so it's been been a great journey, and I've enjoyed it, and uh, feel honored to be here with you guys today. That's awesome. So, John, you, one of the things that I know about you, because I've known you for 10 or 15 years now, is uh, you love all different kinds of leaders at every level, and you've personally built out multiple locations of the church that you were a part of. You built teams from the ground up. You raised up people who were just volunteers and, and trained them, mentored them, coached them to eventually become leaders. And one of the things you're really, really passionate about is something, uh, a word that you've used for years and years, which is relational leadership. There's a lot of different styles of leadership, and I would love it if you would just, for our, our audience, just unpack what is, as concisely as you can, what is relational leadership? 
Well, relational leadership is just a word that I came up with uh, that I've used for years and we've talked about. And so I looked at the model of Jesus as I was a part of a multi-site ministry that was growing campus after campus after campus, having to develop team after team after team. And I started asking myself, how am I going to build these teams? How are we going to all come together? How are we going to all head down the same uh, road together? And how are we going to go through this very difficult time, which starting nine campuses in seven years is very difficult, and Mm -hmm. come out the end healthy? And so I just started looking at the way Jesus leads. And, and I believe that as Jesus leads and grows people, he does it with compassion. He does it with a, a desire to help someone become the, the better version of themselves. Um, he doesn't do it by demeaning and beating down and, and wearing people out or, or, or making them feel less than they are in hopes that that will help them grow. He does it because he loves them and out of love. And I, I put a, a model together that said, what would happen if – I invested my heart and soul into those that God has put around me, and they knew I cared about them. They knew I cared first more about their marriages than I cared about what they could do for me. I cared more about their families than what they could do for me. What would happen if we put a team together where I invested my heart and soul into people? Would I potentially get more out of them? And in practicing that over the years, as a real type A lion kind of guy, I had to learn, I had to learn type A lion compassion compassionate mm-hmm. leadership. And I watched people's lives change around me. I watched people willing to give so much more to the effort because they felt valued. They felt cared for. They they felt like somebody was on their side and uh, lived it out over 15 years and saw the benefits of it. And I, I believe that's the way we should lead because I think that's the model that Jesus gives us. And I just believe the church should be different. I know we don't see it in all churches. I know we don't see it in the world in, in a lot of ways, but um, just the conviction on my heart that we should lead different in the church. So, John, one of the groups that listens to our podcast is also business leaders, a lot of them being mm-hmm. Christian business leaders. And I think that this conversation is going to be a great one that will apply to them as well. Have you I seen agree. it? all of this work in a business setting? Do you have kind of any, any differences to keep in mind as we jump into the conversation? Absolutely. In fact, our parent company is a uh, 60-year-old design-build construction firm uh, called Kruger Construction. And we're actually implementing these things into Kruger Construction as we speak and seeing the benefits of it. We're seeing people get on with the vision and feel different about going to work each day. Um, In our uh, 127, we're in about 50 nonprofits and um, churches right now. Uh, We're in several universities uh, where we're, uh, one of our guys is teaching in, uh, in universities and using the Bible to teach inside university, which is amazing, uh, a number of businesses. And we're applying these concepts to say what would happen even in a business if leaders in a business were surrounded by people who wanted to be there, who loved being there, and who couldn't imagine being anywhere else. How much more pr- productivity and how much better and how, how much healthier would a, would a, a business be? Um, and I believe it works. We're seeing it work in our own midst, and um, I believe it can. I believe it works everywhere because it it all you're doing is is tapping into human nature, right? Yeah. You're tapping into way we're created, and nobody wants to feel beat up, berated, or unvalued. And when you tap into that part of the human nature, you, I think you find the best in somebody. Mm. Oh, I love that, and this can be a great conversation. So I'm so excited for our listeners to hear this because because John, I've watched you for over ten years live this out. I saw uh, 
what an impact it made on your team. And, and one of the things that is striking to me about this that I think is a little counterintuitive for a lot of leaders that were sort of taught or evolved to think that you should keep a lot of distance between you and those you're leading, don't get involved in their lives, uh, that they're sort of, the, it's about outputs. What you're saying, one of the things you said is, I'm more interested in their marriage than I am their outputs. And it sounds like what you're saying is if you take an interest in people, if you lead them through relationship instead of just top down order, you know, do this for me, instead of just their position and org chart, that ultimately after a, a season of investment, the outputs will actually be greater than they would have if you were a little bit distant and just gave them objectives and just led toward the bottom line. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? Absolutely. And, and I think what happens sometimes is leaders try to separate themselves from their people because of two reasons. Number one, I think they're afraid ultimately if they pour into them and get too close to them, they'll get hurt, right? Mm -hmm. Somebody will stab you in the back. And I think that forces leaders, particularly pastors, senior pastors a lot, to create a bubble that they get up into because it's safe, right? Yeah. And it's, nobody can get in here with me, and therefore nobody can hurt me. That requires a lot of vulnerability the other way, right? It really does. It really does. And, and at one time, I had about 20 to 22 full-time employees, and I actually had a pastor come to me and say, hey, you're too close to your people, and you're going to get hurt. And what I told him was, is, you know what, there's a good chance that one of these guys is going to stab me in the back somewhere along the way, maybe one or two out of 22. I'm just not willing to give up what I have with the other 21 to protect myself from being hurt by the one. And I, I think you do have to prepare that as much as you want this to work all the time, it's like anything else. It doesn't work all the time. And somewhere along the way, somebody probably going to stab you in the back and hurt you. But I think as a leader, you're much more vulnerable to the enemy when you're, when you're, behind the barriers where nobody can get to you, where you're lonely and alone, then you are standing out there willing to take whatever comes your way, but also being able to see the benefits of, of what it looks like when, when people love working for you and people want to be a part of what you're doing. Mm. So yeah, it does, Larry, you're absolutely right. It requires more vulnerability and it also puts you in a position where you might get hurt. But I think as leaders, you, you know, you have to stand in the gap and be hurt as well. If you know you're doing the right thing, and you can live with it. I mean, I could see leaders listening to this thinking, both in the, the business sphere and the the church sphere, thinking, well, gosh, it sounds like a lot of time. <laughs> Where am I going to get the yeah. time to sit down with people, to invest in them, to care about them as a whole human being versus just their the objectives I've given them? What would you say to someone who is new to this or this is completely foreign and that sort of loud objection in their head is popping up going, well, I don't have time to be a relational leader? Yeah, it does take more time. Absolutely. And if somebody's worried about that, there's 100% true. It takes more time to invest in people this way than it does to just lead them. To, to make it successful and to make it work, you have to believe that the time, the investment of time is worth what you get out of it. Mm. If you're willing to put that extra time in on the front end, it's like developing a leader. You know, most people will say, well, I don't really have time to develop leaders, so I'll just do it myself, right? If you can convince somebody that the effort on the front end will give them a payback on the other end, then that amount of time, whatever it takes, is worth it. And secondly, when you make that investment on time, leading these people is more of a joy for you as a leader. It's more fun. It's, it's great to be surrounded by people that really want to be with you and really want to be on your team. And people from the outside of an organization saying, how do I get to be a part of that team? which we experienced back in the day in the multi-site. People wanted to be a part of it because what came out of that is that we got a lot of work done, but we also had a lot of fun because we all loved each other. We all cared about each other. We all we are all in this together, 
And we had a blast doing some really crazy things for a lot of years for the kingdom of God. Man, I'm sold on the the idea of building relational leadership. I think uh, I think for for our listeners and for for the podcast, it'd be great to dive into the elements and kind of what builds and creates that type of a system inside of an organization. So maybe we could start with culture and just talk about, um, you know, how do you build that type of a culture? Yeah, you first have to define it, right? You have to say, okay, what is relational leadership? And you have to teach your people and you have to say, here's the goal that I want for this team. I want us to be friends. I want us to care about each other. I want us to care about each other's marriages, each other's kids. I want each of us to be able to look inside this room and see who's stressed out and needs help. I want us to look around this team and say, how many of us are going to be willing to say, hey, we've got a friend in need. Let's walk away from what we're doing and I'll go there and help them when that need comes up. And we live that out time and time again as we started campus after campus. And everybody from previous campuses came forward to help with new campuses. So you set that forward and say, how are we going to do that? One of the things we started with is saying, okay, if we're going to live relationally, we want to start with the thing that I, cre- I created the actual name for. There's probably not too many John originals. You know, we all learn from somebody else, but I called it keeping short accounts. And what keeping short accounts was is that as a team, culturally, it is against our culture to allow a molehill to turn into a mountain. What that mean- meant for us as a team of 22 people or so was that when any of us had an issue with anybody else, we followed Matthew 18, 15 through 17, which is the words of Jesus about this that are crystal clear. We live that out every single day. Let's start relationally by saying, if I have a problem with you, Larry, I don't have a discussion with anybody prior. I go straight to you. You and me talk it out. And 99% of the time, nobody else will know about it. We've fixed it and we move on. It became so cultural in the way that we the way that we live, we'd be sitting in a staff meeting and somebody would say, well, you know, so-and-so is causing a problem over there. And everybody would go, ooh, relational leadership, you know, or, or uh, keeping short accounts. So the whole team would call somebody out on it because they knew it was completely unacceptable. Well, what that created as we worked into relational leadership was trust, right? Yeah. We all trusted each other. We could all come to each other. We could all challenge each other as long as it was done in a loving, caring way. No jerkness. The the heart the funny thing about it was is it went every way and I got I got I got caught several times myself where <laughs> yeah. guys would come in all of and, us leaders do right yeah, yeah and go hey guess what today is it's uh it's uh it's your turn you know <laughs> it's and, your turn <laughs> it's your turn day yeah, yeah. so okay uh, so culture it sounds like what you're saying to me is you need to establish a culture and specifically state it and that there are certain elements that are specific to relational leadership, such as, you know, believing uh, from the intro, you know, you kind of said believing that your team and humans are more productive if they feel loved and um, believing in the importance of forgiveness and letting things go almost as a cultural um, yes. aspect. So those are a couple of things about establishing the culture. And then, you know, I keep thinking if you're establishing culture that way, you need to create a structure as well, a leadership structure that's going to match, right? So how do you structure a team to support that culture? Well, it's, I don't know if the structure in the team has as much to do about it as when it becomes cultural, then I lead it out and model it as the leader of that ministry. Mm. Then I have a team under me, which I kind of considered my executive team, which was three of the campus pastors who, um, I, who could kind of walk at that 30,000 feet with me better than others around me. The way I led them was the way, was my expectation for how they led the rest of the team. Mm. 
but we took it throughout the entire organization. And so the expectation was that every campus pastor in nine campuses would also go and lead their entire teams the same way. So they had to go, they had to hear it, they had to learn it, they had to practice it, and then they had to spread it through the organization because our expectation was this was being lived out at every campus every single day exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. And the thing that makes it work that it, with leadership development or with culture development that you don't see a lot in churches is accountability. Hmm. So without accountability, can it work? And so each of us at every level was always holding those beneath us accountable to the culture. How are you living out the culture? How's it working in your children's ministry? How's it working in your student ministry? Are you living this out? That's what campus pastors, those discussions they had all the time. Then when a campus pastor would come and sit in front of me, I'd say, tell me how you're living it out. Don't, don't just say, oh, yeah, we're doing great. No, tell me exactly how you're living it out. How, how's it being lived out in student ministry? So the accountability is what makes it work. And when, there's, and when everybody has it in their heart and the accountability is working, then we're all on the same page. And again, when somebody misses it, almost every single time, I never even called anybody out on it. Some other campus pastor had gone, uh-oh. Yeah, John gonna be mad about that one, you know. And it, and most of the times when somebody stepped out of it, it was actually it actually became kind of funny, because somebody would go, "Yeah, man, I messed up that one. I knew I was gonna get in trouble from you guys." That's when the culture's really set when somebody can kind of step out of it, and, and we all just kind of make fun of them and move on with it. Nobody really gets hurt from it. So you you the culture piece you sort of said this is the DNA of who we are, and then the structure was you had all these campuses, all these other. Uh, or like many organizations and some of the key leaders of those you met with regularly invested in. And then you sort of the expectation is they were turning or turning around and doing that. What did that look like then in the context of one-on-one -on -one relationships? Now you talked a lot about caring for them, their families and um, all those sorts of things. What did it look like one-on-one? -on -one? I understand in the large group meeting, you guys are calling one another out. You're saying one-on-one, -on -one, you guys are doing this at every level in the organization. Practically, what did it look like on a day-to-day -day basis to invest relationally through relational leadership? Yeah, one-on-one -on -one is those times when you sit down with somebody or having a conversation with somebody. You don't immediately, as a leader, go to, you know, tell me what your attendance is. Tell me what your, you know, what your offering was this weekend. Uh, you know, did you get this done like I asked you to? I always led, all of us always led with, how are you doing? You know, how's the family? You know, I, they knew that I wanted to know when there was a struggle and I had the authority. Um, I'd been there forever since there was 300 people there at this point, there was 9,000. I'd been there forever. So I had the authority to be able to take someone who wasn't doing well and say, you know what, why don't you just take the next four or five days off? It's not going to mm -hmm. count against your vacation. Um, I can see that you're not in a good place. Um, I want your marriage to be okay. And I want your, your overall personal health to be okay. So I need you to go. I literally would say sometimes have to say, I don't care what you think about it. I need you to go because I, I care more about you. So it was always the conversations where the majority of the time, sometimes you got business to do, right? You just got to do business. We all have to do that. But there was never a time when anybody on that staff, now let me say anybody on staff, anybody on that staff that came to my office, not at every campus, that was the campus pastor's role. I can't, I couldn't take care of that many people. So there was a group of about 15 out of the 22 that I personally invested in all the time, which is way too many, actually. Uh, but it was just the nature of the, the structure that we had. Mm -hmm. Every time they knew that coming into any conversation, that what I was about to either ask them about their family or challenge them about, um, if you're not doing what I need you to do, when that person would sit in front of me, they knew I was for them. They could not sit across from me and go, 
here's John just trying to tear me down again and make me do something. They absolutely knew I was for them. They absolutely knew I had their back. And so the conversations were always completely different. First, I care about your family. Second, I need you to step it up in this area. And every one of them today would tell you that when John would challenge me, I had to look inward because he'd already proven that he cares about me. He's already proven he's for me. He's already proven he trusts me. And he's challenging me because he wants the best for me. And I believe that's the whole Jesus model. I think that Jesus always challenges us to make us better, not, not to tear us down or hurt us. And that's how we lived it out. My company consults in the corporate communication space mm -hmm. for very large organizations like healthcare systems and uh, large legal firms and things of this nature. And they use different words for the same things, but they also have a different essence or a different um, feeling behind, behind it that is just a different tonality. So what they talk about will be the, the word, they'll use the words like employee engagement and they'll use words like um, trickle down communications where it goes from a manager to an employee or to a mid-level manager and then down to an employee. And it's their way of trying to establish this culture and create this structure and create the one-on-one -on -one working relationships that they want. But what's missing out of it that's different than what you're talking about is that component of humanity and um, faith that underlies what you're discussing and describing, right? It's it's the yeah. human connection and the human value that you're that you're infusing into this whole model that just shapes the conversation and just changes the outputs and the outcomes. So I love equating the two because I think a lot of listeners might be thinking, oh, in my workplace, we talk about it this way. And it is similar to those things, some of those same principles, but it's just done from that aspect of humanity. And one of the things that you said in the notes as we were kind of preparing for this is that basically you need to build trust before you ask them to risk or in conjunction with asking them to risk. But basically, sometimes as leaders, we get excited about asking for more productivity or, hey, can you take this hill with me? You know, as a leader, we got to take that hill over there. But what we're missing is that first aspect of make sure we're building trust before we ask them to risk. Yeah, I think I think there's a misconception sometimes. And uh, I've, I've heard this many times over the last 15 years of me and Larry been talking about this, not from him, but from other people. And they go, yeah, we've all known that relational leader. Everybody loves him. They love everybody. But nobody can get anything done around them because it's just all warm and fuzzy, right? Mm. That That's relationships. That's not relational leadership. Mm. And I think it's important to distinguish between the two. Relational leadership means that I'm called to lead something. Many of the things you said is I do need productivity from people. We do have things we need to get done. It's not all warm and fuzzy. It's just that we begin with the heart, right? We begin with the heart part of it. And then when you pour your heart into somebody, the productivity you get out of those people is far more than you would ever get out of had you not done it because they're happy, because they look forward to coming to work, because they're excited to be a part of a team. And therefore, they come to work better prepared on time. They're in a good mood when they get here. They're looking forward to being there. And they love being a part of this team and can't imagine themselves not being a part of it. So there's still the, the business side of, of leading leaders and, and the productivity and all the trickle down, everything you're talking about. Those things can work as well in an organization. I just think they're missing the heart, the heart aspect. The heart aspect, which is saying love them first, and then you'll get so much more out of them. Um, I used to tell them all the time that, that um, when you lead like this, you'll have a group of people around you that literally say, 
I'll stand by you as we take on hell with water pistols if that's what you need us to do. And it's just a great place to be. It's a great place to be at a leader because now you're surrounded by people you love and want to be around as opposed to people that, you know, can't stand to be in your presence because you're the boss. Right. Well, it sounds like in a lot of organizations, because the relational investment isn't happening, it's it's authority based on position, right? I am the CEO. I am the COO. I am the division manager. I am whatever it might be. Um, I'm the senior pastor, whatever it is. So I need you to do these five things. And the expectation is you just go do these five things. Whereas what you're saying is if you spend the time investing and getting to know this person as a whole human being, what makes them tick, what their life looks like, um, who they are as a person, if you take interest in that, then when you say, here's initiative X and here's your role in that, then they feel like I can trust you and walk with you uh, in this. Absolutely. I talk a lot about positional leadership and we see that. We see a lot of it in the church too, not just in the business world. And that's a, a guy that's been given authority and you do what I tell you to do. If not, I'll replace you and find somebody else. That's positional authority. Now, it doesn't say that organizations and places don't have positional authority. I never wanted positional authority. And I, I've kind of one like, if I have to tell somebody I'm the boss, then I'm really not. I just got a title. Mm. True leadership means that um, they're willing to follow me. They're willing to trust me. And I don't have to remind them that, I'm, that I, ever that I'm the boss. I never once had to tell anybody on my staff, remember, I'm the boss. And so you're going to do this. They knew that. They knew I was the boss. But I didn't have positional leadership. I'd earned their trust. And so they trusted me as a leader, and they were willing to follow me wherever wherever I asked them to go. And they were willing to follow me places and uh, where I didn't even want to go. As you know, as a part of an executive team of a large church, you sit in a room sometimes, and you hash it out, and you win some and you lose some. But when we walked out of that room of the executive team, we led it as if it was our ideas. And so sometimes I was leading them on things that I completely disagreed about in an executive team meeting, right? Um, yeah. but they trusted me even when I think they, I would never say it. And I never once said, well, you know, somebody made me do this, but even when they knew that it wasn't my idea, they still followed me. Hmm. And even when they knew that it was going to affect them in a negative way, they were still willing to follow me. So you, you've worked to sort of state what the culture is. Here's the DNA. We're going to be very relational. We're going to care about one another. We're going to build high trust. We're going to take risks together. We're going to be honest and keep short accounts, all those sorts of things. And then you talked about this concept of protecting the environment. It's a safe environment um, for, for people in, to, to step into this, right? Um, you've shown that you're for them, but you're also protecting this environment. Talk a little bit just about what protecting the environment looks like. Yeah, it's creating a healthy environment that when people feel like they're, that somebody has their back, they're willing to take risks. And I, I was one of those guys that said, you know, uh, failure is not a problem unless you don't have any. I, I want, I expect failure from you, not moral failure. Let's make that clear. But I expect you to try things that you've never tried before in hopes of seeing God do something you've never seen him do before. And if you give it all you got, and it turns into an absolute disaster and you lose $3,000 over it, what I would look to him and say, what did you learn from that? What would you have done differently? How did it help you grow? And don't do that again, but don't quit trying something new. And that's a safe environment where people are willing to step out of their comfort zone and try to, try to, um, um, try to go do something they've never done before. Take a risk. Um, if it'll reach people, if it'll grow people, if it'll grow your ministry, if, if more people will come to Christ because of it, because you did something crazy and out there, I expect you to keep doing that. Um, but that's the safe environment. When we know we're together, you know I have your back. Um, I'm not going to fire you if you take a great risk and lose a bunch of money. 
we'll just say what if all the questions we did and let's don't do that again, right? But let's keep trying, you know, what's the next thing you're going to go try? That's the safe environment to where I think you create an environment where leaders can actually thrive and leaders can actually uh, risk and, and, and see greater things. That comes from the healthy environment, the relational environment. Well, and I think the truth is if you create an environment that's safe for people to try something and fail, I mean, I'm for years, I've always said, I'd rather rein someone in than have to prod them to try to get them to to go somewhere, you know, but it seems to me like if you want, if you want the true results, innovation happens best in a safe environment where people have a chance to risk. Anyone that's succeeded at something has just gotten really good at failing. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In the business world and, and with, especially with startups, you know, we talk about fail fast, and I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but it's just this idea of the faster you fail, the faster you're going to get to the things that are going to win and that are going to push the needle right. or change the game. And uh, yeah. it doesn't seem to be that different in business versus in, um, in in a church or a nonprofit environment. It seems like we we need risk in order to evolve, to evolve our organizations and to see them operate and be successful at the next level. We have to have risk. So then the question becomes, what do you do culturally to support healthy risk-taking, right? And that's what you're talking about. Yeah, I, my, 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 the way I always said it was fail forward. As long as you fail forward, I'm okay. As long as yeah. you've learned something from it, as long as you've grown from it. Uh, the only failure is when you stop because you're afraid to risk again. That's failure in my mind. The rest of it, fail forward. You know, keep keep going. I think the greatest leaders have failed many times. I've, I've tried to be an entrepreneur twice, and I failed on both of them. Um, doesn't mean I won't try again somewhere down the road, yeah. right? I've learned something from both my entrepreneurial uh, uh, adventures. Um, I would say probably, I mean, you'd know, I mean, most entrepreneurs have failed four or five times before that great thing happened. Um, I think an entrepreneur that's failed many times before he really hit it and, and turned it into something great is the perfect example yeah. of an entrepreneur and quit. They just try something else, right? They try something new. So fail fast, fail forward. I think that's it. I love it. And you, you said something as we were prepping for this. You said they need to know that you're for them, not just that you want something from them. And so tell me how that changes the dynamic to, to think about it that way. Yeah, I think for me is when I look at, at my responsibility as a leader in the church, I have to look at it through the, through the eyes of, of Jesus, right? I don't, I don't get to take it outside of that. And so I look, I began to say, these people that God has called around me that are, that are helping us succeed in the vision that's been put for us, these aren't just people that I'm supposed to use until I can get what I want and then replace them with others that can do better. I looked at those people and said, I believe it is my responsibility to help each one of them with the sacrifice and the hard work that they're given this ministry, find their greatest God-given potential, that as a leader, that that if I am going to help them find their greatest God-given potential, it's going to take an investment on my part in them. And then if we lead that way, then that means that I really want to help them become the greatest version of themselves. And so I want something for them. And if I'm helping them find the greatest version of themselves, then, then I can expect more from them because it comes out of someone who goes, I'm valued, I'm cared for, He's pushing me. He wants me to grow. He's challenging me. Uh, he's kicking me out of my comfort zone on a regular basis, but he's doing it because he wants me to find the greatest version of myself. And when you have people around you that know you have that part of them, they'll follow you. They'll, you'll, you'll get more from them 
because you first give them, you want something for them. I love that. It's so, it's so important. I mean, I, I think everybody wants to feel known, valued and loved, and they want to feel like my life as a whole matters. And, and when, when, you, when you know that your leader is for you and wants something for you instead of just from you, you feel more like you can live into your own skin, who God's created you to be. And you don't feel like all I am is, you know, KPI one, two, three, or objective uh, one, two, three, or whatever it is. And I think, I think you're right. It is. And sometimes you have to remind people of that when you're having a difficult conversation with someone to remind them, I want to just remember, I want to remind you that this is tough and I don't like having to talk about this with you, but I want you to grow in this area so that you'll be stronger. Even after you leave this organization, the hard thing that you're having to work through right now is going to be good for you long-term. So I'm willing to make that investment and to have the uncomfortable con con you know, conversation in the midst of it so that you can grow because I care about who you are, even if you step outside of this. And I think if we, if we just see what we can get from them, then we become very possessive of our team and feel like, oh, I just need, need you for the thing that you put out instead of your natural journey. Absolutely. And there's two sides to it. Listen, um, there's no panacea here. This doesn't always work, right? Um, not everybody responds to it. Not everybody comes through it. And, you know, we're not living in some perfect leadership world where there's never a problem. Um, but there's two sides to it. There's the side you're talking about where you make that investment, you love on somebody, but then you can really feel happy for them when a greater opportunity comes their way. And, and part of the church is we want to hold on to everybody, mm. but biblically we're supposed to send people as well. And so being able to share in that joy and, and let everybody on my staff know, if you get a great opportunity, you come and tell me about it. You don't have to hide it. I'll be your biggest fan. And anywhere along the way, if you change your mind, you'll still have a job here. Um, let me pray with you. Let me walk you through this. Um, I want the very best for you, no matter what it costs me. That's one side of it. The other side is, is there's people who don't respond to it. And as a leader, particularly in the church, when I had to let people go, and I had to let, had to let a number of people go over the years, probably five or six over the years that I was doing this. Um, what I knew when I lived this out first is I could stand before God one day and say, I gave everything I had into the life of this person. I gave them every tool they needed to succeed. And they were like the horse I led to water that just chose not to drink, right? And when you had to let somebody go, no matter what was said about you, no matter who they went and talked to you bad behind your back, you actually knew that you knew in your heart that you had led this way. And what you did was the right thing for this organization, for the kingdom of God. And no matter what came out of it, you could stand up and say, this is painful, but I know it was the right thing. And I think so the two sides is, is you lose people you love and you have to get rid of some people who just don't buy into the, to, to what you're doing, the vision, what you're doing and aren't willing to follow you. But you come out of both those situations with your head held high. The, the first thing that struck me as you've been talking about all of this is that for you as a leader, this level of authenticity and genuinely caring about people is not a struggle. It's part of what you believe. It's woven into you, uh, who you are and how you want to lead. For people listening, you might be a leader that does not think this way and does not value people this way. You might even not know how to or where to start. And so there's a meta narrative around all of this, which is that as a person, you have to find a place where you genuinely care about people. And uh, you know, many people listening to this podcast are Christians, and you might have a value set where where that's important to you and wired in. Other people listening to this, it might not that might not be the case. And so, whatever your situation is right now, I really encourage you that you have to find an authentic 
way to value people. Everything else in this entire model relies on your authenticity. You cannot establish and replicate a culture if you're faking your way through this. You have to genuinely care about people. Uh, absolutely, Rob. And here's the thing. I didn't always believe this, right? If you were to do uh, the personality profiles on me, you'd see that I'm probably a, as close to a lion lion as anybody who's ever taken that profile. Um, I, I'm very type A. Um, I want to get things done. And, and by nature, I, I, I don't want to sit. I don't by nature want to have to spend all the extra time I'm doing this. But one of the things I learned along the way is that the thing about a, pro, a, a profile of, of figuring out what your personality profile is, sometimes it gives you excuses. Yeah, and I start, <laughs> I start seeing these guys taking all these profiles on my team. And next thing you know is, well, John, you know, I am what I am. And I don't believe that's what God wants for any of us. I am a type A leader who learned compassion because I realized I didn't want to be surrounded by people who didn't want to be a part of what I was doing. And I wanted people to stay, so I didn't want to be replacing people all the time. And I wanted to build a team that could accomplish some great things for the kingdom of God and see a ton of people come to know Jesus Christ. And I wasn't going to be able to do it the way God created me, right? Yes. And so I had to learn this compassion, and I had to, I had to, I prayed about it, and I had to learn to own it. And I had to practice it in the early days until I began to see the benefits of it. And then over time, it became much easier for me. Yeah. Um, I never did not care for people, but I was more inclined to get the work done than I was to get the people done. And, and I had to learn to say, I want to get people done first, and then the work will come after that. So I had to learn it. Yeah, and my point in bringing it up is that we started this conversation with you at the point you're at now. And it's just really good for other leaders to hear if you're type A and you want to get things done and that's your natural bent, there is a journey of self, both self-discovery and self-learning that's going to get you to the place of being a compassionate, caring leader with a human element involved. Yeah. And you need to go through it and, uh, and your faith and, your, and that foundation uh, of the way Jesus teaches is going to be one great and a really important way to do it. The second thing I wanted to say about this that's, that was kind of assumed in our conversation, but I think it's worth drawing out, is that all of this relies on having a vision for your organization that's big enough and worthy enough that you can attract people to it naturally, the right people, and then you can include them in it. And what I mean by that is it's very hard to be forced, to want something for someone if that vision of the organization isn't big enough and worthy enough to include them. But suddenly, as soon as you say, you know, we're changing lives, then you can want for every one of your colleagues that experience of being part of changing lives, right? Yeah. And so I think your organizational vision at the top level and, and what you're presenting and, and how, you, how you attract people to your organization, and then when you say you're for them, what, what is it specifically that you're for? What is that wonderful thing that your organization does and cares about that you can include them in and be for them in that context? So Let me say before we go past that is, is something I haven't said yet that's part of, of living this out is exactly what you're talking about, Rob, is, is that when there was something that would, we'd decide in the executive meeting. Now, it wasn't really going to change, right? It was going to be done because we, we fought it out in that circle and the senior pastor made a decision and off we went. But what I never didn't do was engage the team with it. 
So even though I actually knew exactly what we were going to do, because it wasn't my decision, uh, my job was to carry out vision, not to create it. We've made a decision. I always came back to the team and we always had a discussion about it because I always gave the team a voice to be heard. Now, they weren't going to change my mind because it wasn't my decision in this case, um, in many of those cases. But they always got to speak into it. And, and what I learned from the team when you're living this out is they don't necessarily need to get their way. They just want to be heard. And the XP in me, the lion in me, wants to say, here it is. Let's move on and talk about how we're going to do it. But the, but the leader in me learned there's value in the process of allowing people to have a voice, allowing people to be heard, allowing people to disagree in a safe place, and then moving on and saying, here's, here's where we're going. On the other hand, sometimes it was my decision. And many times I sat in that room and got my mind changed because there was some really good ideas brought up uh, that were better than my ideas. And we would literally go, you know what? I would literally go, that's a much better idea than mine. Let's go with that one. And so people bought into the culture, right, of knowing they had a voice and, and knowing they could speak into it. But I also said, remember, as we lead out, you're going to win some and you're going to lose some. You're not always going to get your way. I'm not always going to get my way. And so learn to win them well and lose them well. And you can disagree as harsh as you want to, as long as it's done respectfully. And that was part of the relational leadership. So there was always great conversations, great arguments, but all done respectfully. And everybody came, okay, this is one I lose, or this is one I won, and we move together. John, it sounds like, as we've talked about today, about building a culture, you built a culture. You sort of said, these are the, the code of engagement, rules of engagement for our team. And you invested relationally into a core team who then turned around and did it at every level in the organization. You built trust through that. You created a safe environment because of that relational equity that people had to where they could take risks. They could even fail. And you saw that as a win and a positive thing. Sort of as we move toward a close, the outputs of all of that, the outcome of all of that is that it sounds like you had tremendous relational equity. And it really, you've, you've mentioned this before, but you, you had this team that really wanted to be there. There was high trust. There was high accountability. It was the, the group itself was creating accountability at that point. You weren't even having to be the police. They were kind of self-policing, which is pretty awesome. People were excited. They they felt on board. And then it also sounds like some of the negative stuff that creeps up without strong vision wasn't there. And you were able to, to speak into people's lives because you had relational equity in the good times and in the bad. And what's the outcome all these years later? What, what's the health of those leaders what do you think your investment relationally in all those leaders has resulted in all these years later? You know, you always wonder about that. Um, they're all still my friends for starters. There's not one single person who's ever worked for me who, who's not my friend. Um, I turned 60 last week. I'm officially old now. Um, my wife decided she wanted to have a 60th birthday party for me. And five and a half years later, almost six years later since I've left the church, most of them have moved on in different parts of life. Um, 18 of the 22 drove 60 miles from Corpus Christi out to Rockport to come celebrate my birthday with me and honored me and spoke words of affirmation into my life like you couldn't imagine. And I remember sitting there, personally, it felt good, right? I'm not a big words of affirmation guy, but all these years later, it felt really good to see all those people and all those staff and their wives out there. Um, and then the words of affirmation started coming about what it had meant to be a part of that team and thankful of what I'd poured into their lives and how it's helping them in their life today. 
And part of it is it felt good as a human being, but the better part was it, you know, it worked. It worked all these years later. I think for me, it was affirmation that what I believe to be real actually is, it actually works. All these people are doing well in their lives, some in ministry elsewhere, some not. Um, all of them very willing to come out and celebrate with me and honor me with incredible words and incredible time. Um, it, it was affirmation that God's saying, keep teaching it, son. Keep teaching it. This is, I believe in my heart, the way he wants us to lead. It's not my leadership model. It's his leadership model. And I'm not brilliant. I'm not nothing brilliant about me. I just believe I led out of the heart of Jesus Christ. And I think I saw what you would always see when you lead that way or treat human beings that way. And they're all better for it. And I'm better for it. And um, I think it was just God's way of affirming me saying now in the role you're in now, keep teaching it. I think that's so good. John, it's been really good to hear you sort of sharing the vision for relational leadership, some practical ways that you engage in that and kind of the fruit of what happened. And I think our hope is that our listeners who maybe aren't into this yet, that they'll take a leap into this. They'll take a risk into relational leadership. We want to give you the last word. What's the last thing that you would say to our listeners? You have one chance to sort of tell them this is, this is your thought or why they should do relational leadership. The last words for you. Yeah. I'd say give it a shot for those that are going, yeah, I don't know about that. Doesn't make sense to me. Um, as a leader, we ask our people to take risk, right? Um, and yet we should be leading risk ourselves. Give it a shot. See what would happen. A lot of people go, I don't know how to put this in my organization. And I'd say, I understand that. It takes time to build this in an organization. But take that one person and speak some positivity in their life and care about them and watch what happens from it. Um, it's, based on, it's based on the human spirit. Give it a shot. Try it with one person um, and see what comes of that. Um, I think if you do that, you'll want to figure out how to do it more often. Um, and when you do that, it's not just about what you get for them. I think it makes you a better leader as well. I love it. John Atkinson, pastor, leader, coach, consultant. Where can our listeners go to find out more about you and what you're a part of right now? How can they get connected with you? Yeah, they can go to the the127group.com and check out our website. They can email me at john at the127group.com. And uh, we'd love to, to get back with them and, and share more about this with them. Awesome. John Atkinson, thank you so much for your investment into leaders for so many years. Thanks for your investment today into the leaders of our tribe. And uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Thanks. Thanks, guys. It's been a true honor, man. And, and Rob, great to get to know you. Great to get to know you, John. Thank you so much. Okay, Rob, we talked a lot about relational leadership. We're so grateful for this conversation with, with John Atkinson. Rob, I know you, you know me, we're both pretty type A, yet we both seem to care about people, which is in, yeah. not always congruent with type A. Tell me what your thoughts, what are what stuck out to you about this conversation about relational leadership? You know, I wanted John to set me straight, uh, to be honest. You know, I had that feeling like I need some more of this in my leadership style. I need I need a dose of this. And John brought it. I mean, I, I felt the things that really struck out to me, or stuck out to me rather, is just First of all, John himself is so authentic about this. It, yeah. he, but I made the wrong assumption. If you listen to the episode at the beginning, he's talking through this. And at the end, I said, well, what if it's not just natural for other leaders like it's natural for you, John? And he said, oh, no, no, this wasn't natural, <laughs> it wasn't for, natural me. for me. Yeah. <laughs> I started type A, but I did love people and I did have these values. And so over time, I became a compassionate leader and I learned it. 
for me, that just gives hope to to my journey. I'm on that journey. I want to be more compassionate. I want to put more uh, of the humanity into the way that I lead. And so I love yeah. this conversation with John. I do want to speak to those people that if you are in pain as a leader or struggling in your organization or in your role, this is really challenging during those periods of time. Yeah. And so I just encourage you to keep at it. You know, what stuck out to me is I was thinking back to, I think it was episode two with Dave Ferguson, uh, and he was talking about Hero Maker, but he introduced this concept that I actually wrote on my whiteboard in my office because it it just gripped me. It's this idea of the double bottom line. Remember that? Yes. And I was thinking all the whole time he was talking about this, John was talking about the return on investment and that it was an investment, right? That it wasn't a uh, get rich quick scheme. It was a, it takes time and you start this, you start building, it takes time to build a culture around anything and to get people aligned around it. And it's so cool when you start hearing other people emulating that and living that out, but it's investment. And, and I think this is another great example, thanks Dave Ferguson, of the double bottom line, that there is an outputs-oriented thing we have to measure as leaders, that we're getting stuff done, that we're moving the ball down the field, the needle's shifting, but we're also, the the other bottom line is the health and the wholeness of those that we lead. And I love that John's such an advocate for that and sees that both of those things matter, not just one or the other, and that we should maybe shift what we see the return on an investment as a leader. I love that, Larry. And I, and I do completely agree with that. I think it was a great conversation with John. Relational leadership is something that so many of us type A leaders need to ingrain a little deeper into the way that we work and the way that we think. And uh, it will affect our organizations. Yeah, I love that. You, you can learn more about John at the127group.com. John and his organization, also their parent organization, builds buildings for schools and churches and all kinds of things. So if you need a building, they also do consulting to make sure your organization is healthy. So cool. <laughs> Instead of just building a building. <laughs> they build and then, buildings yeah. and teams. And teams, which is pretty cool. Uh, you can learn more about this episode, leadbuildlive.com slash 010. That's correct. And you can also go to uh, leadbuildlive.com slash community, and you can find out how to be a part of our Facebook group. We'd really love for you to be a part of that. If you have questions about leadership, you need to journey with the tribe of other people. You can throw a post in there, and the tribe will answer your questions, have some dialogue about that. be a great help for you. Also, just want to mention that uh, we have some great episodes coming up, so make sure if you've not subscribed yet on iTunes or your listening app of choice to do that, we love reviews. Uh, we've got some new reviews I saw in there the other day. That was pretty exciting. So leave some reviews, leave some ratings, and we'd love that you're a part of our tribe. Thanks, tribe, for listening today about relational leadership. We'd love for you to share with us how you're learning about this and what you're doing, so we hope to hear from you soon. Thanks for listening.